Chapter Seven of Dr. Paul's Theory. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dr. Paul's Theory by Alice Mangold Deal. Chapter Seven. Found in an old notebook of Lilia Pym's. October blank. 18 blank if i do not tell someone or something i shall go mad oh father father i loved you so and what have you done to me you could not help dying and leaving me i know that the relentless progress of atoms whose rules no one is clear-brained or unprejudiced enough to discover determined your death but why why did you degrade me so I have been wandering in the dark among the pines, in the forlorn hope of meeting your spirit. I have been to the place in the churchyard where they buried you to-day. I knew I could not see or hear you, but I thought my mind might feel your mind. I felt nothing but that you are not. You are not. Terrible, cruel thought! and i have not the courage to kill myself and be not as well this man you have given me to without asking me holds me holds every bit of me body heart what they call mind and soul everything i feel i must do his will and that my own will is as not as you are i rage and chafe like a chained beast and every moment i feel my chains are getting less galling presently oh father father they will be pleasant like your chains were then i shall love them then they will crush me and i shall not be your lilia any more but a little piece of another identity it must have been your plan from the beginning how you used to talk about him after that dreadful time in the hospital you made him out a second hamlet only larger-minded cleverer but never said he was young and handsome you must have purposely let me imagine him like your friends that i might be surprised that first time he came here how well i remember one evening when you and i were walking in the wood and you were talking about him and said he was coming at last i shall see this ancient hamlet of yours i said and asked you if there had been an ophelia in his story scarcely time for that yet you said in a peculiar way of yours that means i am all at sea all in the dark about something but i was not interested enough to think more about it then came the day when a graceful dark young prince-like creature walked across the lawn and when i saw him i felt all paralysed i felt nothing thought nothing he stupefied me i only seemed to wake up when he went away no some hours after he went back to london and then my whole being seemed to give one great cry of despair like it did when mr mervyn told me of your accident and that you were in the hospital i did not know what that feeling of despair meant then it only frightened me i know what it meant only too well now i despaired because it is impossible that he can ever love me and no one could see him and know him without feeling that life without his love is dry purposeless a living death oh why did you bring him here and ask him to take me 
poor dear father i thought you could not be mistaken in any one and you are certainly not mistaken in your estimate of him but when you thought he could love me how you exaggerated me how your kind eyes saw your poor child in a false light i his companion his wife impossible the whole world would laugh would stare and i should be sick with shame as i was to-day i told him two days before that he must go away i begged him to go away he did not he thinks he ought to sacrifice himself so he stayed for the funeral as they call it why not good saxon burial father you never treated me wrongly till now now you have wronged your child when you were dying you did what you thought best for me but to-day oh the shame of it your brothers mr pym and mr edmund pym came for the burial roderick did not come it was said he was ill but his brother herbert the clergyman who used to laugh out with roderick and called a family prig came they followed your coffin through the pouring rain in carriages i sat in my room alone i could not even bear mammy mervyn with me feeling cold and half dead while they were seeing your coffin put into the ground i was listening to the clatter of plates and dishes and the footsteps of the servants laying the luncheon which those people were to eat when they came back i heard the carriages coming back like carriages in a dream then mammy mervyn would come in with a cup of beef tea she took me in her arms and dropped tears on to me which made me drink the beef tea as the less disagreeable of the two she told me the will was to be read and mr moffat said i must come down and she made me put on that dreadful black gown which you would dislike i know as much as i do i went downstairs with her she asked me if i thought i should break down i said the truth mammy i feel there is nothing of me to break down the room was dreadfully light i could not make out which was which of the men in black standing about till he came up to me and took my hand and the touch of him fired up my life like a flaming match fires spirits of wine then i again saw heard thought and suffered the anguish of your loss acutely the lawyer sitting at your table in your chair read your will and the awful shame settled about me that i shall never be able to lift off myself never you left all your money and property to him with the condition that he married me that was all you never made any arrangement for any one else or for anything else should he refuse or i refuse if you could have heard the desecration of your name which followed old mr pym roderick's father that pinched old man like a sick weasel got up and said he should oppose your will which was evidently drawn up when you were of unsound mind at this i started up and said that i should defend it you had never been of unsound mind mr mervyn proposed that discussions if any should be postponed i said certainly this conversation made me feel all anger then mr pym proposed a private interview with me i said yes will you please come into the drawing-room we went i drew up the blinds and stood with my back to the light facing him he offered me a chair i declined 
no man who has accused you of having been of unsound mind shall be invited to seat himself in this your house if i can prevent it he stared at me i stared at him he began a speech muddling the words and clearing his throat then he accused me of being in league with him to have influenced you to disinherit roderick i said excuse me but i fail to understand what my cousin roderick has to do with the matter he told me that you had made roderick your heir in a previous will and that you had intended us to marry i laughed that made him very angry he stamped about the room said many things i could not understand but finished off by saying that everything was exactly as he expected which was plain enough i said what i felt for i was really sorry for him i said i am glad of that it seems to me that what one expects so seldom happens just then mrs mervyn came in looking quite frightened how frightened or rather timid these believers in all sorts of unseen extraordinary things are he and she looked at each other then he went out and she came to me and said my darling this is dreadful for you i am sure but i know he meant it well i said he who your poor dear father she said how dared she defend you and to me i said my father was above ordinary men he knew he could see farther than we short-sighted mortals she seemed a little chidden and i was glad then she asked me if i would see him i can see poor fellow that he had no idea of this he seems quite overwhelmed she said the white-hot shame of that scorched me i stood there and oh father suffered an agony to describe which there are no words no words she called him poor fellow pityingly she said he had no idea of that that he was quite overwhelmed oh my shame my shame and i never dreamt that i was good enough for him i had never aspired never should have aspired to being even his friend much less his wife your goodness in overrating your child has covered her with a pall a pall of shame under which she will lie buried till the end of time if indeed there should be such a thing as the end of time which seems absurd i said to-morrow i would see him to-morrow and i begged for solitude i have had it utter complete october blank two days later is written in another handwriting on the margin of the page for once i must try and communicate with you dear father before i begin the new life you cannot blame me for living for you willed it so did you know that you were giving me to one whose thoughts opinions feelings are the very opposite of your own this is the great important question i am trying to put to you in my mind for it is no use to cry out to you you cannot hear me oh it is important most important for why should you have educated me so carefully in the common-sense conformity of actualities if you meant me to adopt the ordinary myths which he believes he tells me you knew his opinions that he concealed nothing from you he cannot lie so i am to think that you felt a secret dissatisfaction with your own explanations of the awful mysteries of human life and the universe and preferred i should adopt the blind weaving of human fancies they call faith 
religion can it be can it be i cannot cannot understand you i have sought your spirit everywhere by your grave in your favourite haunts in your room i have knelt and grovelled imploring you to give me one sign to comfort me with a passing breath no no i have felt nothing but a blank a silence death still you or what remains of you may be dimly impressed with my burning fiery thoughts so i concentrate them and write them down if thought in matter can communicate with disembodied thought the moment may come when you will in some way become acquainted with these sentences so i will tell you how the fulfilling of your will has come about i could not sleep last night no not last night the night after your burial in the morning fancy that was only yesterday morning though it seems so far away it might have been fifty years ago i had no courage left i could not see him i sent mammy mervyn to tell him so when she came back i asked her what he said she answered nothing i said he must have said something she said no he bowed his head and answered some question james had just asked him somehow this silence rebuked me and i felt i was not behaving with due respect to your chosen heir for that is what he really is so all day long i tried to nerve myself for what i had to do which was to tell him i could not accept the sacrifice of himself but that i was ready and glad to place myself in the position of his younger sister as you had placed him in the position of an eldest indeed an only son this would be very hard to say truthfully feeling as i do that to be his own wife is the greatest happiness that any living woman on the face of this earth can possibly attain when evening came i could not face him i felt worn out i sent him a little note telling him i would see him to-morrow morning this morning and locking myself into my room went to bed and tried to sleep sleep was impossible the night was chill i knew though i was hot the moonlight would not be shut out i heard the quarters chime the hours strike the noises in the house cease one by one till the last door up above shut softly and the house had its night hush on which when you and i were reading together late you used to call its nightcap only that last night that we were trying to find out something of the separate will-power commonly called the human soul you said we must wait till the house is put on its nightcap and when the hush came you laid down your long pipe and with that peculiar smile which meant work you said come along then as i lay tossing eleven struck and a thought came to me as a lightning flash there is an old notion that midnight or thereabouts is the time when disembodied spirit essence can manifest itself in some way and as you have often seriously said to me there is always at least a spark of fire underlying the dense smoke of these popular fallacies i had not tried to find you in the dead of night yet i got up put on a winter dressing-gown wrapped my head in a veil and going softly downstairs went out into the pine-wood 
there i roamed and wandered straining my thoughts fixing them upon you yearning longing for you the moonlight streamed calmly down the dark night sky was clear and peaceful the pines stood solemn and still like giant black-clad sentinels guarding your grave but you oh father father you were not now and then an owl hooted or one of those screeching night-birds flew out of covert but these natural noises only deepened the stern silence of the sleeping world my wretched body my miserable senses were the barrier between us embodied we shall never meet again oh father that thought maddened me i could not bear the separation any longer i looked up why do we always look up that cold solitary eye of the night the moon glared banefully at me to me its chill disdain meant fool why stand there drivelling if you will have him again die the thought steadied me i would die yes but how when those poor mervyns a rush of pity for dear good mammy and her worthy husband made me turn away from the idea wrung with pain they had been so tender and good to me always what a repayment to grieve their kind hearts overcome i made my way to the triangle lawn and sat down in a corner of the stone bench under the laurels to collect my thoughts then came the most startling event of my whole life i had hardly been there a minute when a figure glided in by the path through the shrubs by which i had come the figure of a man it stood motionless in the shadow at first with a throb of triumph i thought it was you i was springing up to rush to you when it made a step forward i saw a white face in the moonlight the face of a thin man with grey hair all tossed about above his forehead a face i seemed to know but did not know this i declare to you that i saw with these living eyes and never never will i believe that i was deceived never at first i shivered yes with fright i was afraid of that man whose face was familiar and strange at one and the same time then i suddenly remembered something you said to me when i was a child and rob the pony ran away and i stuck on when you came up and found us all right you said sharply were you frightened then after i answered no you said that's right if you were frightened at anything i should disown you you shall never disown me for cowardice so i conquered the nonsensical tremor and went across towards the man as i got near i saw it was he your hamlet he looked frightened horrified i think shocked he stared at me without speaking while i could have counted twelve then he said quite harshly is this the first time you have been here at this hour before i could think i naturally said yes and told him why i had come this is most extraordinary he said staring strangely at me he was not like himself he seemed dazed i felt less shy of him i came here for two reasons i said i was too unhappy to sleep and i thought that if my father's spirit is hovering about anywhere i might find it him here 
just then the church clock rang out so loudly that i started and laid my hand on his arm he smiled and took my hand even the great philosopher miss pym is superstitious enough to believe in ghosts and to be frightened when the clock strikes twelve he said in a familiar teasing way i was not frightened i was only startled i said come we must go back to the house at once i am answerable for you he said in an authoritative way answerable may i ask to whom i said as coldly as i could though i began to feel a strange joy yes joy just after my despair therefore all the keener by contrast oh my father what a paltry nature is mine to love another when i have but just lost you there is no one that has any power over me no one who can or will ask or care what has become of me i said as he did not speak for some moments there is he said that is absurd there is not i asseverated there is he said almighty god he drew my hand through his arm and we walked silently towards the house i was wondering why i had shuddered at his sudden mention of the deity i was frightened to realize that his influence had even greater power over me than i thought you are my sacred charge he said in the same serious voice what a voice he has so deep yet so mellow do what you may i shall watch over you till i die if you can find me i cried for the battle to resist him against a strong inclination i felt to tell him i was his slave to do as he pleased with was exciting me to wildness perhaps i shall die or disappear if i thought one thing i should be the one to disappear at least you should never be troubled with the sight of me again he said stopping when we came to an open place in the road dropping my hand and turning so that he could see my face plainly in the moonlight and i must really now once for all ask you to answer me a plain question with truth absolute truth it is my duty to ask and your duty to reply well i said nerving myself as if for some process of torture dreading fearing i should give way suddenly and shame myself for ever beyond repair beyond recall it is a plain question and i only want a plain yes or no he went on can you love me as a husband i stood still i gasped terror i had to tell the truth and that truth was horrible suddenly i bethought me how to be true both to myself and to him it must be plain yes or no i asked yes he said then no i cried emphatically he thrust his hands into his pockets drew a deep sigh and stared at me his face was in the shadow i could not see it but i felt his eyes fixed upon me thank you for your frankness he said just when the silence was getting unendurable and i dreaded giving way and flinging myself at his feet or something equally disgraceful oh the hard hard fight it was to keep cool silent then the dream is over he went on more to himself than to me beginning to walk along the road again i might have known it without asking you child but it is best to kill a delusion right out at once what delusion i asked the delusion that you or for the matter of that 
any woman could care to be the wife of a man so totally devoid of interest and charm as myself he said bitterly thank heaven it will never come in my way to ask any woman that question again his self-depreciation astonished me surely he must know what he is then i remembered dear father how people who are born with great gifts do not recognize the fact because it is so natural to them indeed you once told me when that wonderful man m condescended to talk to me about the beetles he had discovered that these men of genius cannot understand how it is every one else has not powers similar to their own do you know that you are telling lies without knowing it i said i am what did you say he said evidently startled stopping short and once more staring at me when you say you are devoid of charm and interest you are telling a monstrous lie i cried if you don't know that every woman who sees and talks to you must think you a god among men it is time you did know it for it is much better for women you should not be with them you make them dissatisfied with their people don't misunderstand me you did not make me dissatisfied with my father he too was perfect but after seeing you that time you came and stayed every one else seemed coarse and common and roderick oh poor roderick i was very unkind to him i did not want him at all once more he stopped do you mean all this he said good god why of course you do i forgot how innocent how ignorant you are what shall i do with you we stood staring at one another like cats before they begin to fight do with me i said thinking as i spoke for i felt very sorry for him burdened with me take my advice my first advice have nothing to do with me go away and forget my father and me as soon as you can but why should i no no that is not the question he said sternly like you used to speak sometimes lilia be sensible if you think far more of me than i deserve why cannot you consent to be my wife you never asked me i said i have done nothing else but ask you he cried you are mistaken i said and with truth you did not ask me to be your wife you asked me if i could love you as a husband and you said no such a no i meant it you are the greatest puzzle i have ever come across he said almost angrily i know you mean to speak the truth but one moment you tell me decidedly in a manner that admits of no doubt no hope that you cannot love me as a husband and the next you say extravagant things about me that i am a god among men things which would be insults from any lips but yours what am i to think both cannot be true both things are true i said i cannot love you as for instance mrs mervyn loves her husband she doesn't mind much where he is she is quite contented to stay with me while he is at the vicarage but the woman who marries you will weary her heart out all the time you are away from her or perhaps you might find a girl who would not i can only speak for myself if you love yourself and i suppose you do every one does more or less save yourself from me i cannot love you unselfishly i should be a burden to you you would get to hate me he took my hands then took me in his arms like you used to father when you said good-night and he said to me i should prefer to risk hating you then 
lilia let us talk sense you are mine doubly mine as your father's dying gift i am yours only listen to my advice as you listen to his and we shall be happy in life and death already under his influence i began to see things in a different light what a fool i am oh dear father what a great grand thing your patience with me has been we talked over everything he is resolved to let no consideration interfere with his working out of whatever talent he has so for six months or so until he has passed certain important examinations he will work hard in london and i shall see but little of him mr and mrs mervyn will live here and for the present the vicarage will be shut up this my dear father is how your will that our lives should be united will be carried out i will work on faithfully to improve myself as far as i can be improved may the end of these months of probation find me more worthy of the great honour of being your daughter and his wife note in another handwriting this ended her diary extract from the first column of the times in the june following the dates of above extracts on the twenty-fourth instant at the parish church of the pinewood f blank surrey hugh paul m d london m r c s etc to lilia only child of the late sir roderick pym knight End of chapter seven